You're listening to Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with our regular January 2023 episode Episode 42 of Socialist News and Views. In the second portion of our show, we speak with Matt Hoke about nonviolent regime change and revolutionary provisional governments. This week was also Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I encourage everyone to go back and listen to Dr. King in his own words with a speech we posted around this time last year called The Three Evils of Society from 1967. We will include a link in the show notes. And we start with the news. Tenants flooded out of historic bell lofts in North Minneapolis. Fault landlord plea for help is the title of an article by Caitlin Vu, January 13th on Sahan Journal. The subheading reads, quote, about 50 people moved out of the 25-unit building when a pipe burst in December. Most are now staying in hotels. Several say landlord and developer Chris Webley has stopped responding to their messages, end quote. The article says the residents who are overwhelmingly of marginalized identities sent a letter to Webley, the city of Minneapolis, and Red Cross asking for an improved response to the emergency, including financial assistance and transparency. The article also says, quote, the letter included demands that Webley fully compensate tenants for relocation costs and damaged property, return all rent that tenants paid in 2022, and publicly apologize, end quote. The letter also made several demands of the city of Minneapolis, including to pay for relocation costs. Sahan Journal was also not able to reach Webley by any means. You can read more on sahanjournal.com. Fight Back News has an article on January 17th by Sarah Martin entitled Remembering the Legacy of Polly Mann, Founder of Wham. The article says, quote, Polly Mann, a leading force and giant in the Twin Cities anti-war movement, died on January 12, 2023 at the age of 103 in San Francisco, California, where she had lived with her daughter Connie for a little over a year, end quote. The article documents Mann's numerous contributions to the movement and quotes many remembrances of activists who talk about Mann's commitment to fight for economic and social justice. It says Mann went on delegations to a number of countries such as Cuba, the Philippines, and Libya to quote, see and hear firsthand the effects of U.S. foreign policy, end quote. You can read more on fightbacknews.org. The higher ed labor movement runs full speed ahead into 2023 is the title of an article on Left Voice from January 13th by Olivia Wood. The article starts, quote, At the end of 2022, workers in higher education had their eyes turned towards the weeks-long strikes at the University of California, UC, and the New School. These strikes were among the largest and longest 
that higher education in the U.S. has ever seen. In California, the striking unions represented about 48,000 workers, while the total number of striking faculty at the new school in New York was much smaller. They represented 87% of all teaching faculty at the university, showing the power of what near-total shutdown of classes can do, end quote. In the article, Wood says also, quote, over 30,000 graduate student workers went public with their unions in 2022, and another estimate suggests that as many as 330,000 academic workers will be bargaining for new contracts in 2023, on top of any new unionization efforts that emerge this year, end quote. You can read more on leftvoice.org. January 15th, people aren't taking this seriously. Experts say U.S. COVID surge is big risk is the title of an article on The Guardian by Melody Schreiber. The subheading says fewer precautions, holiday events, and mutating subvariants have driven the rise, but notes that boosters and masks, as well as other mitigation measures, are still effective. The article says the U.S. saw doubling of hospitalizations in children under four in 2022 and a 44% increase in COVID deaths in the U.S. in the week ending January 11th. The article quotes the CEO of the New Hampshire Healthcare Association as saying, quote, hospitals are at maximum capacity, end quote, and, quote, I'm not sure what the trajectory of this thing's going to be, but I am worried, end quote. You can read more on theguardian.com. Aside from the article, it's important to realize that COVID has an acute phase of the illness, but also poses significant risks of ongoing chronic illness, which may also include symptoms. We hope to bring you an episode devoted to this topic. In the meantime, I recommend following the People's CDC on social media for ongoing and up-to-date information about COVID from scientists and health professionals. This week in Fascism 133, committees continue to mobilize against anti-LGBTQ attacks as new fascist formations emerge, appears on It's Going Down on January 17th. It starts, Welcome Fellow Anti-Fascists. It says that It's Going Down brought back this week in fascism column in response to Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and alignment with far-right groups. It highlights the neo-Nazi network White Lives Matter, as well as other splinter groups of Patriot Front. It celebrates the new wave of anti-fascist coalition building that has mobilized to counter emboldened far-right forces, the column says, quote, it's important that anti-fascists understand these new formations and mobilize quickly to take action, map their social networks, and act to defend their communities, end quote. It also highlights specific events targeted by neo-Nazis and other far-right groups. You can read more on itsgoingdown.org. January 16th, an article on Workers World by Betsy Pietti is titled Thousands Protest Latest Israeli Repression. It says Israel's extreme right-wing government has already passed a raft of repressive measures. Quote, one of the most egregious acts was to enforce a ban on carrying Palestinian flags in public, end quote. The article outlines the response from activists on the ground saying, quote, over 20,000 activists joined forces in a Together Against Fascism and Apartheid protest in Tel Aviv January 7th. A week later, on January 14th, over 100,000 protesters turned out in Tel Aviv and two other cities, again defying the ban on flags and denouncing Netanyahu's government as criminal. You can read more on workers.org. Quote, 64 years ago, on January 1st, 1959, workers and farmers in Cuba brought down one of the bloodiest tyrants in the Americas, the U.S.-backed dictatorship of Fulgencio Batista, opening the door to making a socialist revolution, end quote. 
is the first sentence of an editorial on The Militant from January 16th entitled Cuba's Socialist Revolution is an Example for All Workers. It also says, quote, led by Fidel Castro and the rebel army, they proved working people are capable of replacing capitalist rule with something better, end quote. It says the biggest contribution we can make to ending the economic war on Cuba by the U.S. is to build a, quote, proletarian party in our country, which already has two global imperialist parties. You can read more on themilitant.com. Peruvian movements organize caravan to Lima to intensify protests is the title of a January 17th article on People's Dispatch by Tanya Wadwa. It says groups composed of peasants, trade unionists, and indigenous people announced the march on January 10th and already, quote, thousands of people from Peru's north, central, south, and east regions have departed their homes in caravans headed towards the capital, Lima, to intensify protests against the coup and to call for de facto President Dina Boulartes' resignation, end quote. You can read more on peoplesdispatch.org. Other sources report as many as 50 people have been killed in Peru since the start of the protests by security forces, including people not even involved in the protests. Here's audio from some describing attacks by security forces aired on Al Jazeera on January 10th. I was holding my camera when a police officer asked me to kneel while pointing a gun at me. Then I heard a shot and felt my foot blocked. Then I felt a cramp. I took four steps and I fell on the floor because I couldn't walk. He was out walking. His friend lives nearby and they went for a walk. Then, as far as we know, a bullet hit him. And now, a musical break. This is in honor of the Arab Spring, which was actively taking place across a large area of the world at this time 12 years ago. Its repercussions are ongoing. This song is We Shall All Be Free by Jasiri X featuring M1 of Dead Prez. It was released February 3rd, 2011. Revolution's not an act, it's an actual fact And I did it burns until it turns blacker than black The truth bearer, new era like the back of your hat The truth terror who'll scare you without packing the gap Through the barrier, one carrier, then it spreads like malaria Bury us with no fear of oppression Every tear's a weapon when God hears us a blessing Every tyrant is death and the die disconnected The violent aggression, if arrested, remain silent when questioned The wisest lesson, freedom's the highest expression of life in the present That's why worldwide the riots are spreading the right this message like God set the fire from heaven uprising We done crying, the young riding When people get the power, dictators go run hiding We just trying to live like human beings When we protest in peace, police shoot up the scene Look at your computer screen, you can see it right through the stream Let our foreman be a warning to every brutal regime Simple math equation is scientific, okay? You put the power in the hands of the people, this liberation. And even if you take it away, it's multiplication. Repression brings resistance, and this is our situation. I'm an expert on exploitation, master of ghetto misery. A miracle of modern enslavement, given our history. The fire through the wire, bullet bombs and the liars are snitches. 
a counterinsurgency, bad vicious, they kill us, the freedom fighters, but they kill the revolution, they put crack in our community, laughing like it's amusing, but I don't see nothing funny, these crackers that's on the money, they only wanna keep us miseducated like sunny, they see how we never give up and wonder just how we do it, fuck the ropes, we the scarabs, the beetles, the thoughts, the ruins, you can hear it in the music, it's resilient, part of our experience, you can call it the freedom experiment, you hear it, but do you feel it, either join with it or fear it, but I want it in my lifetime, period. Public service announcement has been brought to you by Drum Gang Productions, Dead Prayers, and the revolutionary minds of one hood. We stand in solidarity with freedom fighters all over the earth. Poor people rise up, press people rise up. Amir Suleiman says, the revolution you're watching through your computer, you'll soon be watching through your window. One hood. And we're back. Now we go to a discussion I had with Matt Hoke about the film How to Start a Revolution, about Gene Sharp and the idea of revolutionary provisional governments. The interview was recorded December 1st, 2022. Here it is. On Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves, so tell us who you are. Hey, uh, my name is Matt Oak. Uh, at this point, I'm a global democracy activist trying to organize governments in exile for Russia, Iran, and China, as well as um, writing a manual on overthrowing global capitalism in the short term to prevent a uh, social collapse this decade. So um, that's it for me, if you want, if you want to just dive into things. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I connected with you. You, uh, We were both at this uh, meeting, Enough is Enough, in the British state, uh, international uh, meeting um, discussing, you know, inflation and uh, labor unrest, etc. And I just, you know, you made a comment and I thought it was really interesting. So I reached out to you and wanted to connect. Um, you had talked specifically uh, in that meeting, had mentioned um, Gene Sharp and the uh, mm. How to Start a Revolution uh, video. Just just wonder if you could just talk a little bit about uh, about Gene Sharp or about How to Start a Revolution and, and how you found that and, and uh, what it kind of means to you, what it kind of says to you. Okay. Well, yeah. So, I mean, the way I got into Gene Sharp was... I'm kind of a nerd for, like, movies that came out in 1999. Like, this is a big conversation. Like, the Keanu Zons, you know, the revival of Keanu Reeves movies, etc. Um, and uh, Johnny Monomic and all that stuff. So, the thing is that I was trying to figure out, like, how did things like the battle in Seattle happen? Mm. Like, you know, in 1999. Right. And that sort of led me to other questions of like how did other mass mobilizations happen like the Arab Spring or Occupy Wall Street and the more I chased down all these disparate threads the more I kept hearing the name Gene Sharp more and more and more mm. and and then I actually just because I'm writing this manual um, I, I just sort of finally had a moment of humility I was just like I wonder what happens if I type the words how to start a revolution into a search engine and what comes back is a documentary on Gene Sharp. So I watch it, and it completely blows my mind. Um, but I, I guess what was the, the reason, what was the part? You know, what was the part in that documentary that blew? Like, what was the part that really blew your mind the most, or what was the most revealing or new thing to you from that? 
uh, work? I think um, the thing that shocks me the most is this this fact that the more I look into it, the more it feels like revolutions are are um, are very intentionally made. Like a revolution is a campaign, and and like it's it's organized like any reform movement. It's 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 organized as a movement, and it's like revolutions. They kind of you know seem engineered. I come from this you know uh, more Marxist background that says, well, you can't really do anything to make the revolution happen. You just sort of accelerate the process by doing you know organizing. Mm. And um, this this sort of challenges that and takes things in a more situationist direction. But you kind of can make things happen and kind of have to. So um, that that it, it really. Um, that was the part. It also connected with us, all this other state theory going on with like Nikos Poulantzas and like the Democratic Socialist Movement, um, you know, saying that there has to be some kind of struggle within the state in order to have a social transition. And also with the um, Mike McNair's ideas of what an actual like new government would look like which is different than the typical like workers councils federation notion. So, um, all this started intersecting and I realized that, uh, if you, if you combine these ideas, you would have this powerful combination where you could form a parallel government Mm. for a new economic system and then use these sort of like 1989 Arab spring, like crowd revolution protest tactics where, regime change becomes the demand of the movement. You know, you have movements where you're actually demanding regime change. Like right now in China, people saying like, she stepped down, communist party stepped down. Uh, you know, like that's, that's a regime change demand. And, you know, I, I guess the notion that I'm increasingly coming to is you could do this against capitalism itself without having to, um, you know, wait on this um, spontaneous prayer of like workers councils forming, like whenever they spontaneously form. Yeah, I'll, I'll just ask, so, uh, you know, when watching the documentary, they bring it up, and uh, it is it is mentioned, and actually a couple of the people that I shared it with had also uh, had that question. Um, so what what's with this thought that uh, Gene Sharp is in the CIA? That's uh, that's one of the things that they, that they mentioned there. What's your reaction to that, or what did you think of that in the film? I mean... I guess, you know, on the one hand, you have to acknowledge that anything is possible. You know, the intelligence community could be capable of, you know, levels of, of hiding things that, you know, we can't even, like, think of. And maybe that's, maybe, maybe, I don't know. Is there a possibility that Gene Chart was a CIA asset? Yeah, it's possible. Um, I feel like the, the story they provide is at least believable. That the, the idea was that, like, he kind of tried to sell it to the intelligence community and the defense community and initially found that they were skeptical of the idea of nonviolent regime change. Mm. And then he went to, you know, just focus on the quality of his writing and funding his whole efforts solely through his like professor salary. Mm. So that's what he did. And then later, I think, um, it was only in the two thousands that like, I think the United States started like really, uh, investing and it's like nonviolent regime change orientation. Right. I think in my impression was that though there might've been some Western support for some of the 1989 stuff, like 
a lot of that actually was more like just generated from the people in my opinion um but when you when you start seeing things like the west almost like investing or sparking color revolutions is more like serbia in 2000 mm. um uh the the ukraine color uh, orange revolution um and and for me it's such a complex phenomenon because i actually still sympathize with these movements despite their western support yeah i, I, mean, I mean what i said was uh I mean, my immediate reaction when they said, oh, you know, Gene Sharp might be in the CIA or whatever, was like, well, uh, okay, I mean, if the CIA is going to give us some tools that can help us, uh, you know, push forward a revolution, uh, you know, I mean, we're not going to hand that over to the CIA, uh, you know, after uh, the revolution necessarily. So, you know, if they're giving us tools, then I would still use the tools, even if they were uh, created by the CIA. I think, you know, if you're actually, you know, if you're actually putting the, the people uh, in charge of the movement and there's actually some, you know, there's a level of democracy and demands and actions and things like that going on, then, you know, I mean, that's the that's the thing. I think the big question would be that some would ask is, so you take down the regime, if that's the primary demand, then you have a vacuum kind of when the regime goes. And so I guess just... I don't know if this gets into the next point or just what, so what do you, what do you respond to that? Or what do you think about, uh, you know, the idea that if the regime falls, it doesn't really necessarily prove that there's been a successful revolution or it doesn't, do you think that, do you think that getting the regime to fall, I mean, is like the, is like a good prime starting point or? No, actually. Uh, I think it's just part of the equation. Mm. Um, I, I think um, I really agree with Gandhi that like, you know, whatever his issues might be. Um, that uh like a lot of his movement is about what he called like constructive program like actually trying to create something and i think there are 198 tactics in gene sharp's uh regime change manual uh from dictatorship to democracy 198 tactics of nonviolence, uh numbered in a big list and the last one number 198 is dual sovereignty or parallel government mm. and i started looking into this um I think this, and is, I started, you know, this is this is getting into the next part, right? With the uh, revolutionary provisional government, is that what we're talking about? Well, yeah, because the thing of it is that, like, that we do have to fill this power vacuum, mm. and the question is, like, what with? And uh, basically, what um, people seem to be proposing these days, uh, and and this group, the Communist Party of Great Britain, who are this like post Trotskyist. Like uh, I don't know, like post third campus, like new tendency. I think they they kind of have gravitated towards this like revolutionary Kotskyism that I think has like adherence within DSA at this point. So they they basically put forward this idea that like that there needs to be a, a parliament or a legislature of socialists, and that like capitalist parties should be excluded from it, and that like and that and they argue that in practice and like McNair's. Uh, book revolutionary strategy he argues that like this is what the bolsheviks actually did in practice in the sovnarcom they had this like administration that was like a coalition of different parties and it was it, it essentially was this sort of model of like socialist representative democracy and that this um you know it increasingly got purged during the civil war unfortunately and there was the whole debate over whether to reintroduce factions but um, and that didn't, you know, go the way I think some of us would prefer, but, um, yeah, so basically 
you've got my argument is yeah go ahead you can't you can't just have like a demand for regime change and expect it to come out to some sort of like you know socialist economic system you in order you know so so the way a color revolution works when you want like a, a socialist economic regime change is different than when you're just like toppling a dictator because i think in order to guarantee that the politics of this sort of like crowd revolt will be um you know socialist or democratic socialist but like you know not like weak sauce democratic socialist like radical democratic socialist um in order to guarantee that politics you need the movement to be organized around a parallel government that is democratic socialist to ensure that like this like this is a real revolution we're having a real regime change we're installing a democratic socialist regime or administration transitionally um yeah so do you want me to start like because lenin has actually addressed this i'm actually like do you want me to go into some of those lenin quotes about a provisional revolutionary government Yeah, go for it okay so well first i should quote gene sharps quote explaining what parallel government is sure um, so he says, even while a dictatorship still occupies government positions, it is sometimes possible to organize a democratic parallel government. This would increasingly operate as a rival government to which loyalty, compliance, and cooperation are given by the population and the society's institutions. The dictatorship would then consequently, on an increasing basis, be deprived of these characteristics of government. Eventually, the democratic parallel government may fully replace the dictatorial regime as part of the transition to a democratic system. In due course, then a constitution would be adopted and elections held as part of the transition. So that's from from dictatorship to democracy by Gene Sharp. But then Lenin talks about it. Um, well, so so provisional governments emerge in like 1848 um, as, as the term. It sort of gets codified, and they're they're in the revolutions of 1848, which mostly were against remaining European monarchies combined with some failed socialist revolution. So um, the purpose of these governments was to act as transitional governments, to take power away from the monarchists and to hold subsequent elections and constitutional conventions. So there's like a lot of provisional governments in history. They start out as kind of like a, um, what's a, a European phenomenon that spread to Asia, Africa, Latin America. Um, so yeah, Lenin writes about it in, in the book Two Tactics of Social Democracy in the Democratic Revolution, uh, which he wrote during the 1905 failed revolution, which was the prelude of 1917. So in section four, he's talking about the downfall of monarchism, and he explains the purpose of what is a provisional revolutionary government. He says, what is called a provisional revolutionary government is the name given to the government of a revolutionary epoch, which directly replaces the overthrown government and rests on the insurrection of the people and not on some kind of representative institutions coming from the people. A provisional revolutionary government is the organ of struggle for the immediate victory of the revolution for immediately repelling counter-revolutionary attempts. Now, this is back when um, they're, you know, the Bolsheviks aren't even thinking the revolution would be socialist, just like a democracy revolution against monarchism led by the working class at best. So what, what I think um, I'm sort of connecting together here is this idea that you can take um, this concept of parallel government, which both Lenin and Gene Sharp were basically just arguing for, for in the case of like bourgeois revolution, or at least like, you know, just democratic revolution. Right. Um, that when you when you combine it with a sort of like um, uh, CPGB like neo-Kotskyist idea of a party state or, or like a legislature consisting of of you know 
different socialist factions or parties, mm-hmm. then what's possible is you can actually begin building a revolutionary government like immediately, you know, from like a committee of people. And that, you know, you can do this nonviolently. Like um, a lot of like terrorist groups actually form like a little parallel government that they say is like the committee that will like come to power if they ever like triumph or stuff. Like, and a lot of like, uh, I don't know, like the Palestinian Liberation Organization has a history of forming these little like councils and parliaments and like legislative authorities. Uh, you have like um, the African National Congress started as an African National Congress and then it, you know, kind of became a governing party. It started as a, a like an like a protest congress, like the Continental Congress in, in the United States also started from like the Stamp Act Congress and stuff. So um, people form these things; they they appear in various revolutions. Right. And um, like you know, the question is like, <laughs> like can you just form one? And you know, there does have to be like an organic process of struggle involved with it. But at some point, like some group of people in some room has to pass some resolution saying like, yeah, like we're, we're, we're going from like a pro a protest, like meeting to just like declaring that ourselves like an opposition government. And that's like, that's the thing that happens in history. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think we need now for, for like a democratic socialist, nonviolent revolution globally to just like prevent this climate uh, induced food supply collapse that I think will happen by 2030. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that really covers pretty much everything there. Um, so I really appreciate you talking with me about these ideas. Yeah, all right. Have a good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Solidarity. This has been another edition of Socialist News and Views with your host, Nick Schillingford.